especially to our guests and to our long friends and old members. That old is O-L-E, not O-L-D. O-L-E, our old members, English for long. Brother Ray and Sister Brenda, Ustry, it's my delight to have you in this service today and tonight. Such a joy. Thank you for being here. You've made my heart happy. Praise God. Tonight we're going to the second book of Timothy. The second book of Timothy. Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4. And beginning with verse 1 for reading. If you'd like to stand for the reading, it might be a good thing. Hallelujah. I introduced the concept to you this morning that would be tonight's topic. And so I know you're not in any way sitting there in the lurch or waiting in a surprise mode for what's coming. But the passage reads in the King James Version, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. That's verse 5. Does it sound like to anybody that those two verses, 3 and 4 are a pinpoint for you to be able to recognize the times you're living in, but they do not affect you as though you had any intention of selling out. you see what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? He's saying all around you, there can be those and perhaps will be those who are changing the truth into a lie, who desire the doctrines that will tickle their fancy. But you're not going that way. That's what it's saying in my vernacular. But watch thou in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I'm now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. I want to ask you before you're seated, how many of you standing in the presence of the Lord tonight believe in the soon-to-return Christ who is coming back in a resurrection of sorts, in a rapture, if you please, to catch us away to be His bride throughout eternity? If you believe that, put your Bibles down, put your hands together, praise Him in a personal and an intimate fashion because you know who He is. But beyond that, because you know who you are. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. God bless you. I can't begin to understand nor to appreciate everything that sets the stage for us in this passage I've read. The Apostle Paul is credited with writing more than half by volume, more than half of the New Testament. His books remain classics henceforth and forever. He gives us legal lessons. He gives us moral lessons. He gives us social demeanor. And He gives us instruction in righteousness. Paul, as we know him, the apostle who began as Saul of Tarsus with a political career in mind and an agenda to be a leader in the Jewish nation, a friend of the Romans, a ruler of the Jews, the best of both worlds. That was Paul's, Saul's intention. But oh my, can I have just a moment to remind you of what a difference it makes in your life when you meet Jesus on your way? This is how we overcome. I heard you tonight, several of you making reference to the content of your life, to the history of your testimony of how Jesus came in. And in a moment you were changed. How baptism affected you. And how the Holy Spirit in filling in baptism made a difference in you. My goodness, we could sing Debbie Boone's hit song tonight. What a difference he's made in my life. He's my sunshine day and night. And we're talking about Jesus in that setting. Does anybody in here feel like the Lord's made all the difference for you. Amen. I guess you would have to know your political career's down the drain if after
after you've been in charge of the execution of one of the leaders, at least one of the leaders, we don't know how many others, but we do know at least one of the leaders, Stephen, was stoned to death while this Saul of Tarsus oversaw the mob that demolished him. And yet breathing out slaughterings against the remainder of the believers, he went to those who were in charge and got papers in his very pocket, if you please, to go and search them down. The man that we know as the apostle of the New Testament, the writer of the New Testament, the great grand, grandois, Apostle Paul actually desired in his heart to be the New Testament's counterpart to Esau of the Old Testament because Esau was a hunter of men, a bounty hunter, if you please. No wonder God despised him. Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated because there's something in God, in his very character God doesn't have personality. God has character. There's something in the character of God that He wants everybody to be free. For whom the Son, S-O-N, hath set free, is free indeed. Is there any indeed free creatures in this building tonight? That's how we overcome. We've been set free. Freedom in the name of Jesus. I guess you would have to know your career is abyss. It's down the tubes. It's in the toilet. It's out the sewer. I've flushed all of my aspirations for excellence and achievement whenever I met Jesus in the road and that bright light shined on me. And after three days of prayer and fasting and waiting, I accept the ministry, and the testimony of that Christian preacher that says, Brother Saul, you need to turn it all over to Jesus. My goodness, Brother Macmillan, I think you preached my sermon tonight when you said anybody in here that needs the Holy Ghost and wants to receive the Holy Ghost, it's here for you and you can have it. I'll tell you what I say to you, sir. Amen. Amen. You have to know it all turns on the mere expression and the mere proclamation of Jesus, I claim you as Lord and Savior of my life. Baptism, Brother Casey, yes, it's great. It washes away the sins we've repented of. The infilling of the Holy Ghost, yes, it's wonderful. It's a gift that is our free gift of God to seal us unto the day of redemption. But oh, I've got news for you. The thing that sets you free is when you claim Jesus and He claims you. You're saved at the cross when you turn to the blood and the riven side and the nail-scarred hands. Thank God for the blood that washes white as snow. And you see, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly whom Saul met on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. 
He met Jesus. He told us in his writings years later that that's who it was that hailed him and whom he changed to follow. But fast forward. I'm not going to preach to you about the beatings, the stonings, the rejections, the high times when he wrote and the hieroglyphics were his very own. And one place he said, you can tell I wrote this book unto you. The letters are so large. Perhaps based upon the commonly regarded fact that his sight was so dull that he could barely see. And in his condition, he had to hold the page close and write large. Nor am I going to preach to you about the times when he dictated his verse through the hands of a young follower, a young believer like Timothy or like Titus or like any one of the others that were apart. Nor would I cast a hue of failure by saying there were some that walked with him that grew weary of his sacrifice, of his ascetic lifestyle, of his suffering, and walked no more with him. Demas is hardly a footnote to the life and the ministry of Paul. Yet, a man like Paul would have to know when it comes down to a Roman jail cell and he's awaiting the execution at the hand of Nero the Great. And he looks back over his life. Look with me, if you would, please, down that stinky, stench-filled, horribly insanitary, nasty and dirty corridor where he's waiting for his executioners to come and get him. Look down it into his past testimony. Wouldn't you have to know that he knows it didn't have to end like this? I had a career as a lawyer. I had an opportunity as someone tremendously educated. According to Josephus and other historians, he sat in the Sanhedrin, which was equivalent to our Supreme Court. He sat with the judges of his day, not only to interpret the law, but to make the law. Don't you know as he sat there shivering with only three things he desired between him and death? Oh, he knew he was going to die. Is there anybody surprised in here that you are going to die? You are going to die. It's just a matter of when. But the three things he wanted before he died is I'd like to have my sermon notes again. I'd like to have those books that I've written. I'd like to hold them in my hand. I'd like to rehearse them once more. I'd like to be refreshed in my faith. Hey, if there's anything we need to do when we come to church on Sunday nights like tonight or Wednesdays or Sunday mornings, we need to be refreshed in the faith that we claim in Christ Jesus. You do not need to come to church and leave feeling worse than you came. 
You don't need to come to the house of God never one time and walk out feeling like, was it really worth it? You need to be renewed. You need to be strengthened. You need to be made to know you can be an overcomer. If you're sick, somebody needs to pray for your healing. If you're depressed, somebody needs to encourage you. If you're hungry for a move of God, oh, he that thirsts, come and drink. Come and take bread without money. Whosoever will, let him come and partake of the tree of life. We never need to leave this place lessened. We need to go out here, out of here, strengthened. Oh, if I could just have those sermon notes. You know, I'm cold, Paul said. I'm shivering. It's drafty in this old prison. I left a coat at such and such a friend's house. Timothy, come to me quickly. Try to get here before winter and bring that coat. Is there anybody sitting in here tonight besides Sister Sharon? I can testify for her, and she can testify for herself. For the last week or ten days, she can't get warm. She'll sit in the house with her gloves on, her coat on, a scarf around her neck, and she'll say, I'm freezing to death. The thermostats are on 73. The house shows that the temperature is cycling it on and off. So in the sense of the degrees that are present, it's warm. But in the sense of her body and what she's used to, in terms of Oklahoma weather compared to Missouri weather, she's freezing to death. That's the way Paul was. Paul said, I can't get warm. He said, this weather's biting through me and winter's coming. Would you bring me my coat? Come to me quickly and bring me my coat. I want to ask you something. It has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with pie in the sky or mansions or golden streets. But should somebody that wrote Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, should that kind of a person die in a jail cell freezing to death without the simple convenience of a coat? I say to you, no. No a thousand times. But hey, if you're sitting in here tonight... And life's been unfair to you. Life's been unkind to you. You've had reversals. You felt walked on. You felt stepped over. You felt like your advancement didn't come even when you deserved it. You have, in fact, been mistreated. And you know you have. I've come to tell you, life's not always fair. But there is a crown of righteousness which fadeth not away that we everyone can have if we just hold out faithful unto the end. Faithful. 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 A few old sermon notes. An old fur, an old sheepskin, an old coat. And then probably the most important thing to his life was the freshness, the zeal, the intellect of a young friend's mind. Timothy, 
I've sat here in this prison until I'm stir-crazy. I've sat here until everything runs together. If I could hold my notes, my faith would be renewed. If I could wear my coat, my back would be warm. But I need somebody who is in the start of their journey, who's making the decisions for themselves now that I made in the way when the light shined on my path and I turned completely from my old past to my new future. I need somebody just to come and testify into me that it's worth it. Look, old people may be advertised as wise, and some are. And old people may be advertised as experienced, and many are. And old people may be proclaimed as stable and steady, and thank God if we are. But I'll tell you something every old Christian needs. Every old Christian needs a young saint, a young believer that they can look at and say they're living right. They've made their decision to live for God. They've made up their mind to go through. They're not about to turn from the faith, from the fellowship, from the reality of the Word of God. And when you're actually dying by days and degrees, when you're actually coming apart minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, and you know it's happening to you, you're not what you once were physically, and you know it. To be able to look at a Timothy in your life and them to be able to look at you and say, it's worth it to live for God. It's worth it to never give up the faith. It's worth it to stand steadfast as an overcomer. It's worth it to look neither to the right hand nor to the left hand, but to keep the faith. Hallelujah. It makes everything foundational. It makes everything that's behind us. It was no accident that the majority of people that I asked to come and testify were those that's in the upper half of the age group of the congregation. Those people have been a light. They've been a testimony. They've been rocks for you to stand on. Foundation stones to build on. But every one of us need to know that there's another generation that's coming behind us that believe, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We need to know there are young men and young women, young married couples that are living for God, standing for truth, believing the faith, and not about to turn to beggarly elements. Beggarly elements. A sellout of a beggarly sort. It begins with a charge. It starts with a commandment. I remember as a youngster when I first repented, the hellfire and brimstone they preached, I felt like I could smell the sulfur on Sunday night. I was scared of going to hell before Monday morning. So anybody in here remembers those days? Man, they could preach hell hot. They could preach eternity long. Man, they could preach you teetering right on the very brink of the brink of eternal damnation. I didn't want to fall in. Man, I've repented when I hadn't even done nothing wrong. But I needed to because there probably were some times I didn't repent when I should have. Man, they'd preach it. I've actually crawled up the aisle to the altar 
There have been times in my life when I've actually crawled under the altar in order to look for and search for my own repentance. I'm not commanding anyone to do those things. I'm not charging or challenging anyone to do the things that I've done to try to become a person that pleases the Lord. I'm just telling you that a life committed and consecrated to Jesus Christ starts with you individually, personally, just you accepting the challenge of I'm going to live for God. I'm going to, I'm going to sell all out and pitch all in to follow Jesus. I've determined to follow Him. No turning back. You don't get from the charge and the challenge to the I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course and I've kept the faith without selling out. I'm telling you the world will stretch you. My goodness. I wish I had the eloquent vocabulary to paint you a picture of what I'm feeling as I stand here. The world will stretch you. The world will pull you taunt. The world will tantalize you with its hopes, with its promises, with its possibilities. It'll make you think it can give you this and it can supply you that and it can make you happy with this opportunity or that. But all I've ever known the world to actually do is disappoint you, lead you to the breaking point and walk away from you. The only thing I've ever known the world to actually give me is pain and grief and difficulty. Hey, the charge is you've got to come out from among them and be ye a separate people, saith the Lord. That doesn't mean you're a people hater. That doesn't mean you're a judge and a condemner of those that are outside your circle of fellowship. It simply means that you take the challenge. You accept the charge that I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be like Jesus. How did the song go, Brother Cook? On earth I long to be like Him all through life's journey from earth to glory. I only ask to be like Him. The challenge is how badly, how important is it to you to be like Christ, to be Christ-like. Christians more than a faith. Christians more than a fellowship. Christian is more than a denomination. Christian is more than a membership that you pledge to or you join. Christian is a Christ-likeness where even people who don't know Him say, I feel like I've been with Jesus when I've been with them. They're so much different from everything else. How many of you want to really be a Christian in your conduct and not just in your proclamation? Hallelujah. It comes about through our own personal obedience to the preached Word of God. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But how shall they know without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? So the liberty that the charge brings about comes through the preached Word. Now, Now, how many of you agree with that as far as you understand it? Raise your hand. If you don't, it's your right to be wrong if you want to be. So, that is correct. 
as far as we understand. And at that point, it's then what we do relative to the preaching we receive that makes the difference. Now, that's where the text is taking us. Preach the Word. That's the easy part. Y'all think I've got the hard job. Y'all think the difficult part's for me standing up here and doing this. Oh, it's taxing. It's tiring. I got a call from one of my children today, and I didn't say anything about the service we had or any of that. And that child said to me, you sound awfully tired, Dad. What's going on? And I said, well, I, I preached today, and I just took a little short nap, and I'm going back to preach again. Kids, like kids think, they said, well, don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Preaching the Word's the easy part. Do you know what I'm going to do tonight when I get done preaching? I'm going to fall in the bed. I'm going to put my head on my favorite pillow. I'm going to sleep on the mattress. That's the best sleeping mattress I've ever slept on anywhere. And you know why I have that mattress? Oh, I haven't forgotten you folk bought it for me several years ago. It's lasted a good long time. Oh, it has a memory foam topper that's come into existence since then. That Boy, it's sure got a good memory. I'm going to fall in bed on my favorite pillow and I'm going to go to sleep. Do you know why I'm going to do that? One is because I'm exhausted. Another is because... I feel like I've done what I'm supposed to do today. When I preach the Word, that's the easy part. Do you know what the hard part is? It's that part between preaching the Word and I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Because that part it's where life happens. That part is where you meet life head on. Deals go sour. Life reverses on you. Health betrays you. Friends let you down. Relationships fracture. What am I forgetting? What am I not saying that life does? That's where life happens. You see, everybody has some good times. Everybody has some great times. But everybody also has to pay the fiddler. I read this passage in the Amplified Bible that I had with me this morning and felt like it was worthwhile to bring it back. For the times coming when people will not endure... That is, they will not tolerate sound and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number, chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they have held. Stop. If you feel like you're going through a tough time when you need counsel, get it from the man or woman of God that watches for your soul. 
And then if they don't tell you what you want to hear, resist the urge to go find other counselors until you find one that agrees with you. You would be better off to keep a good spirit and accept honest counsel that proves out to be not quite complete than to reject honest counsel and go until you find somebody that agrees with you only to find out later you didn't finish your course. You didn't keep your faith. You didn't fight a good fight. Do you know some things in life God allows to happen to you just to see how you're going to deal with them? They're tests. You'll never get your degree until you pass your tests. Oh God, I don't want to fail the tests. I've had some I don't want to take over. And we'll turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fiction. Brother Jackson, I want to ask you something. You're sitting back there looking up at me like you're hearing and following and believing Everything I'm saying. And I may be very, very fooled and you may have learned how to sleep with your eyes open. And if you have, teach the rest of us. It would come in handy sometimes. But I believe you're listening to me and I believe we're on the same page. Where do some of these religious teachers and preachers get some of the things they're teaching? Where do they come up with these things they're preaching? I can't find them in the Bible. They're not in the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, there is no deception more serious than to be deceived by a wolf who came to you smelling like, dressed like, and looking like a sheep. We have to know those that labor among us. Oh, man, it's heavy right now, but it's right. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man-made fiction and myths. As for you, see, this is talking about what others are going to do. This passage, Brother Marks, this passage doesn't believe you're going to do that. This passage believes you're going to make it. This passage says you and Sister Meredith are going to hold out faithful to the end. If you don't, you'll have to step steadfast on your own volition over what the Bible thinks about you. Sister Macmillan, Brother Macmillan, you were in leadership of this church when I got here. I've watched your stable lives. This passage believes y'all are going to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. The only way you would miss out on that is if you premeditatedly chose another path. The Bible doesn't condemn us or prejudge us as though He intends for us to be lost. Brother Clyde, the last two years we were talking about it in the aisle today has made such a difference in your life. I know, Sister Angela, you have to be so happy to have your husband attending church regularly with you. Ladies... You need to remember when you're praying for your spouse 
to be with you in church. You might pray a lot of years, but don't ever give up. It can happen. It does happen. And for you, it should happen. And don't let me overlook men who come along. Your spouse, you got to keep believing, keep trusting, keep praying. But as for you, be calm and cool and steady. Accept and suffer unflinchingly every hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fully perform all the duties of your ministry. For I am ready to be afflicted. My life is in, is about to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my spirit's release from the body is at hand. And I will soon go free. Man, that's a testimony. That's a testimony. But it doesn't matter how much victory I'm feeling right now or how close to heaven I may think I am right now or how much anointing I may feel pulsating under my chest bone in my heart right now. It doesn't change that you could be going through hell. You could be facing the tempter's sword. You could have arrows from the enemy sticking out all over you. You feel like the proverbial Western American buffalo that's about to be brought down by the Indians. My God, I didn't even see Geronimo coming. And here I am stuck full of these errors. I'm telling you, life is just like that. Do you know what you got to do? Unflinchingly, without wavering, You've got to say and mean it. I didn't choose for this to happen. I did not want this to be my legacy. I did not desire to suffer in any such way. But He knows what's best for me. And though I cannot see... Ladies and gentlemen, does it sound... Entirely redundant for me to tell you everybody doesn't have a beautiful little life story and then they live happily ever after. Some are sacrificed. Some are caused to bleed. Some are made to suffer. Some are sewn up in sheepskins and in goatskins. Some are burned in the gardens of the pagan Nero. Some are beheaded. Some are sawn asunder. Some are chopped up. Some are burned at the stake. Some are, are crucified upside down. But hey, did you read on or did you quit when the blood got gory? When the story got ugly? Don't ever quit when your story's ugly. Don't ever stop when the blood's flowing. Read on to the end of the story because it says, all they could not be made perfect unless somebody just like you said, I've determined to finish my course. I've determined to keep the faith. I've determined to fight a good fight. Is it easy? No. Is it pleasant? Not always. Can you do it? Yes, I believe you can. How do I believe that? How do I think that? I believe that 
because I know pain. I know rejection. I know suffering. I know popularity and then the loss of it. I know confidence and then the withdrawal of it. I know what it feels like for everybody to trust you and then nobody to trust you. But I got news for you. Whether you're on the top of the Oreo or the bottom of the Oreo, I got news for you. God's still sweet in the middle. God's still sweet in the middle. And I have determined that neither life nor death, neither principality nor power, neither things present nor things to come, nor any such thing shall separate me from the grace of God which is in Christ Jesus. Don't let life get the best of you. Don't let life get the best of you. Stand with me if you will, please. Man. Man. I miss my friend, Brother Haney. I miss the friend he was more than I miss the family relationship because he was my friend before we were family. I'm just going to be naked and transparent here for a moment. I miss my friend. People will never know. They won't fully grasp how many times early in the morning, in the middle of the afternoon, sometimes late at night, the phone would ring. And it would be Brother Haney. Him and I had a relationship that privately, between each other, we were first name basis. He was the bishop and I was the bag carrier. But it was first name basis. Some of the circles we traveled into made me feel very uneasy about my ability to interact with that particular crowd. But I never saw him uncomfortable. He could talk to government officials. He could talk to successful salespeople. He even introduced me to an underworld crime boss one time. And he was comfortable with him. He could preach with the anointing that, well, we've experienced it here. But it seemed like he always knew when we needed to have a heart-to-heart. And that phone call would come in. He'd say, how are you? 
And I'd start in with all that service. Oh, great, everything's fine. We had this to happen and that to happen. It was great. And when you're coming to see us, we want you, yada, yada. And he'd say, no, I mean, how are you really doing? How is it really? And he would disarm me with that, how is it really? I'm certain I don't have that power over you tonight. But somebody needs to get the power over your life to be able to say to you, how are you? How is it really? And you come clean. I remember an occasion when I was so right, I was wrong. Yeah, I mean that literally and actually. The reason I was upset was a righteous reason. The thing I was standing for was definitely a righteous thing. And I was backed by the book. The purpose in my withholding and my withdrawal was absolutely justifiable to the nth degree. But do you think that was enough for Brother Haney? He said, you're so right, you're wrong. You need to go to the one again. I've already been to him. I've already talked to him. No, you need to go to him again. And you need to make sure there's not some piece of your information that doesn't fit, that's faulty. Well, guess what? It's amazing how different things become when you take yourself out of the center of the focus and you put the right thing for me to do in the center of the focus. I remember another time when Something was going on right here in this region, not this church, but this region. And I shared it with him. I, I talked to him about what was happening in my life at that moment. And he said, all I know to tell you is what Paul said. And I thought I was getting ready to hear some big profound prophetical word from Paul. And he said, Paul said, None of these things move me. It was just that It didn't matter what life was doing to me. That's just life. The reality wasn't how it was affecting me. It was how are you going to let it affect you hereafter? What's your action after the fact? You see... In most everything that happens to us in life, it's not what we do that is most important. It's why we did it that is most significant. And Paul said, none of this moves me. There were people denying his apostleship. There were people saying he had gone back to the law. They were saying he had gone back and accepted circumcision again to become a part of the ceremonial political circumstance that he had forsaken on the way. But guess what? If you let that shake you, 
If you let that move you, if you let what people say change you, you'll never be able to say, but I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And I've kept the faith. You'll only be able to say, and others will only be able to eulogize of you. You know, they really lived for God to a point, and then I don't even know what really happened, but something changed them. Something happened to them. I guess life just did it to them. You know what one of the American standard versions of Timothy says about Demas? See, Demas is listed three places in the Bible. The first place by calendar, it says, Demas is my fellow laborer. In other words, he's preaching. He's with me. We're missionaries together. We're evangelizing. Then the second place, it says, Demas greets you. All it's saying is, he's still there. His zeal's gone. His faith is altered. He's not the person he was, but he's still present. And then finally, the third place is in this fourth chapter of Second Timothy. After Paul challenges us, don't let life change you. Between your conversion and the finish of your fight, don't let life take control. You take control of life. Don't let life take control of you. And then he says, For Demas has forsaken me, Brother Holligan, in one of the American revisions of that passage, it says, Demas forsook me because he got so caught up with life. I don't want to get so caught up with life that it takes me away from faith. Is that worth repeating? Is that worth hearing again? God, don't let us get so caught up with our living that we go away from our faith. Your faith building is the most important thing that can happen to you. Man, there are some of you that have such great families. You have such beautiful, great children. I spoke with some of you today and after the Sunday morning service, little realizing we'd be here at this point tonight. And I will not personify any of those. You know who you are. I have great confidence in the people that I've talked to. So this is not a reprimand in any shape or fashion. You have great children. You have great families. You've raised them in faith and in fellowship and in the presence of God. Don't let life and live in it cause you to get so caught up about living that it takes you away. Keep building faith. Keep building faith. Keep fighting the war. Keep laying your course in life straight to the plumb line to righteousness. For you see, it may be tomorrow. It will be very soon. And the righteous judge will say to those unprepared, Depart, I never knew you. But to us, that he has confidence in, according to verses 3, 4, and 5, that have kept the faith, 
that served unwaveringly, that didn't flinch when trouble came, that didn't let pain separate them, the ones that said, I'm going to keep holding on to Jesus, He's going to say, step up. My child, I have a robe of righteousness that's tailored to fit your back and no one else's. I have a crown of righteousness that will never fade. It'll always shine celestially that'll fit your head. I wonder, is there anybody in here other than myself? I'm putting my hand up because I'm for it. I vote for it. Is there anybody else that says no trial is worth giving up that crown or losing that robe? No problem in life is severe enough to stop fighting the fight, to stop keeping the faith. You're on your own. You're on your own. I dismiss you to your thoughts. I dismiss you to your dreams. I dismiss you to your hopes. But if your hopes built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, I think there's a rock that's never going to shift at the front of this building that would catch your tears and hold your hopes. And certainly you're welcome to make an altar before you leave to go home at the pew where you've sat. God bless you. I love you. But don't let life take you away from faith. You need Jesus. You need Jesus just to carry you through. Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. Life's trials will seem so small when we see
leads me to repentance. Your goodness draws me to your side. It's your mercy. Your mercy. It calls me to be like you. And your favor. of repetition at the possibility of being redundant I want to say again how much I appreciate the musicians the singers the worshipers the people of God we're not in this alone we don't make it by ourselves we don't miss it by ourselves But I am persuaded. How about you? Are you persuaded? Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord tonight. Don't forget that all of the... We said the strawberry salespeople, but wasn't there some Oreos in on that too? I just... Tonight I need to meet with the ones that sold the the strawberries. Yes, Just the strawberry pickers. All of you strawberry... (laughs) You pea pickers... Tennessee Ernie Ford's pea pickers meet over here as soon as we dismiss. God bless you. Go in the peace of the Lord. Be safe this week, saints. I pray for safety on your jobs. No work accidents this week. Let's be safe. Let's be careful. Go in the peace of the Lord.